and roll band. Riding the studs back at Jim, you know. Goes a different time. All the poets they studied rules of verse, and those ladies they roll their eyes. Jackie is a banker. Jane, she's the clerk. Both of them save their money. When they get home from work. Oh, sitting there by the fire. The radio does play a little classical music there, Jim. The march of the wooden soldiers. Well, they'll have to go out dancing. And other people like me, we gotta work. Watch me now. There's even some evil mothers. I'm gonna tell you that everything is just dirt.
Greetings and welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with my friend Morris Sachs. How you doing, MB? I'm doing great, pal. Nice to see you. Nice to uh, see. Nice you. to see you. I don't. Uh, I can't imagine the listeners realize how lucky they are. Um, allow me to explain. Last night, I don't know. Liam and I were up till three, three in the morning or maybe arguing over how we were going to open the show. Because we know that many people don't appreciate the fish and they fast forward through it, which it's all fine, except the problem is it's fucking up our completion ratio. So if the show's an hour and you skip two minutes of it, that's two minutes out of 50 or 60 that we don't get credit for. And, you know, listen, money. Liam's got a wife and two kids. I got several miles to feed and, you know, look, we, we need the money. Mm -hmm. So what I was arguing for was to teach the deadbeats a lesson and open with the YouTube video of James Cordier, famous option seller, uh, who wrote the book, uh, How to Make Money Shorting Options. And his fund was optionsellers.com. Now- Oh, I, I didn't know that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop, 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 stop. Okay, oh, back up. Well, I All thought right. this- Okay, set the stage just so people so get out your phones, folks, or go to Google. All right, and let's do the name first. Let's start so, with the name, James Cordier. James, let's make it simpler. YouTube. Did you say YouTube or Google? YouTube. YouTube. I said Google. YouTube. Okay. YouTube. You're right. YouTube. YouTube. Well, whatever. <laughs> James Cordier. I don't ask me how to spell it. You'll find it. Yeah, yeah. But this is the guy that set up a hedge fund. And his process was shorting options. I didn't know he was. I thought he was an innocent hedge fund guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all innocent. No, 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 no. I thought he was like like a family office. The way he spoke, well, I, that... dude, he's the he was he was the he wrote the book on shorting options. So, so first of all, part of me thinks we should stop. And just start over and play with that thing. But it's too late. It's too late. But when I'm on like the Kevin Muir podcast. Yes. Yes. They they want to pick. Now, of course, I, I don't have a lot of pictures, but I thought it would be funny yeah. to get a copy first edition mm -hmm. of his book about how to make money shorting options. So there's a picture of me <laughs> holding this book about shorting options by James Cordier. Is it all coming together for you now? I had no idea, dude. If I had Googled it, if I had Googled it, see, this is where you fucked me up. If I had Googled it, I would have gotten the background to him. But you just sent me the YouTube link. So let me give it for the audience. So it must have been like Wednesday morning. Morris sends me an email, and it's just the YouTube video of James Cordier, dude, like stammering, hostage tape, borderline weeping, like, like, good morning, family members. I just want to say it's brutal. You guys got to watch it. James Cordier. And it's it's a it's a 10 minute long apology for losing 
everything, apparently. So I, I don't get any context when I get this email to me. So I'm at the desk on Wednesday morning. I'm like, all right, I got to watch this. And then I'm like, all right, it's 10 minutes. Let me let me go in the bathroom and watch this. So I, I start watching and it's a 10 minute hostage tape of this hedge fund manager. And I didn't know. I just assumed something happened and, you know, he something all and he lost the whole the whole thing went went to shit. So go on. OK, so if I had Googled it and looked up and, and like I normally do and get all my background story. Yeah. And if I had known that he authored the book that you hold for your composite photo. OK, I would have left work for the day and like come over to your house and talk about this. Okay? There's there's a lot of intersections that if we pull this off, are going to be amazing. So I don't know what struck me, but, um, oh, so Uncle Mark came to visit, which is always a special treat for me, especially seeing as, you know, he hops on the airplane and his back is all fucked up from playing golf. Mm -hmm. A violent, violent sport. Come on. My two causes going forward are going to be outlawing golf because it's so violent. And then in addition to that, outlawing cotton for for any number of reasons. First of all, the Mountaineers will tell you cotton kills. I know, I know, I know. It carries 17 times its weight in water. Mm -hmm. It extracts heat from you. Okay. It doesn't let the sweat evaporate like a Gore-Tex. And then we got the whole slavery thing, which is just <laughs> right. wrong. Right. right. So a- anyway, um, I don't know what, what Mark's here. So Mark's here, your family, the, the most important yeah. thing, family. family, family. So we're, we're going for a walk. Me, you know, Gimpy walking down the street. Mark, you know, every step he's seething <laughs> in pain. We're talking to my sister, the one who has earned an honest living in her life being a do-gooder she's going for back surgery and like what it's like we've passed our expiration date um although the expiration date on the heavy cream is not until november and um that's a, a topic for another day but so um mark and i are going for a walk and um a couple of things happened. I got a uh, uh, an email from uh, executive producer and correspondent Leslie Harris from some Bloomberg re- reporter who wrote an article on the Treasury basis trade. Okay. Yeah. Got so we, we have that. <laughs> and then Liam forwards to me a note asking if we will interview who who do you have that in front of you uh, i think i deleted it um okay I, I i can i can cover for you if you don't have it it's a bunch of guys from long-term capital who sent us a note asking if we would interview them on our podcast it came across like i didn't let me read you the subject because 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 it came across the inside baseball cast as a personal email. Like a lot of guys, like I get a lot get a lot of emails. So this is a lot of them start with Morris and Liam or MB and Liam. This one starts. So the subject line says Morris and Liam interview on your podcast with Elm Wealth founder Victor Hagani and CEO James White. 
learning from past financial missteps and building a framework for sound financial decisions. So that's the subject. So I'm like, all right, all right. I get a lot of stuff. Um, people barking up the tree, you know, interview on your podcast with Elm Wealth founder, Victor Hagani and CEO, James White, learning from past financial missteps and building a framework for sound financial decisions. So I was like, eh, all right, let me read it. And hopefully it's not, you know, spam. So, they got a, a lot of nerve coming in here asking us if we're going to interview them on our podcast. No, no, no. Do they not listen? I was wondering, I was like, do you listen to the show? Are you like, yeah. part of me wanted to be like, sure. Why don't you go back and listen to a hundred episodes and then you tell me if you think I'm going to bring him on our show and we're going to, and he, and do these 10 10 softball bullet point questions that you rattled off. Dude, you want to come on the show? We're going to ask questions. We don't but need I, but it's, I, go I, ahead. Leave it to me. Okay. Talk about a spur in my saddle. Saddle. I, if my back were a little better, I would have already walked up to the third floor and retrieved from the Ibwak archives, the business week, magazine that said the dream team mm. it showed the 10 knuckleheads on the plaza of the building where they were renting space from us at Greenwich Capital. Okay. No, no. So I, I, let me, let me vent. Just, I know, I know, I know. So um, I go up to Greenwich Capital, you know, that place where, uh, Ted Netzger was walking to his job from um, uh, Kidder Peabody one day, and his guardian angel said, go to the Dagobah system. Oh, hang on. I got the wrong page. No, he said, go to Philadelphia. The Kelly family will give you money. Then go and buy New York Hanseatic, a primary dealer. From there, it will rain money on you and your employees forever because you'll be a primary dealer and primary dealers always make money. But it is, yep. Well, so after years of limitless effort, I received a job at Greenwich Capital. And like the guardian angel said, I just turned up and they just handed me money every day. EG can, can verify this. Um, but one of the things was one of the co-presidents, uh, just he's just a mean guy. He's just, mm -hmm. he's just a, you know, he's the kind of guy that was talking to his girlfriend from the hospital where his wife was giving birth to their second child. Uh, um, yeah. I, I think that's all a matter of public record. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Long-term capital had opened up and they had some big returns. Now, they were in line with pretty much what we were doing, but, you know, they were the dream team. Okay. So, uh, anyway, it seemed to management at Greenwich, like, MB must be doing something wrong. You need to be more like John Merriweather. No, I heard this a lot. I heard this a lot. I know. And um dude, that must have bugged you. To this day. 
I can tell. I know. I know. I know. This is this is this is the payback. But right? you but you but you didn't, right? You didn't. You I stuck ahead. to my knitting. We have our protocol, right? And um so we, you know, kind of went to work into the mine shaft every day, chipping away, chipping away, but relentlessly hearing about how smart these guys were and yada, yada, yada. And so um, in a bit of corporate espionage, um, one of the uh, risk managers at Greenwich Capital had befriended one of the junior traders in long-term uh, capital. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had their little club, which this fellow, a foreigner, wasn't part of. And so the discussion came up, why don't we make him an offer he can't refuse? Well, um, what's the word? Debrief him, okay? We will subtly interrogate him, and then we'll decide what to do. So uh, we bring this guy in, and... I've told this story uh, at some point anyway. Uh, so he gets, you know, a bunch of spark workstations, which is what we were all using at the time. And um, I'm sitting next to uh, uh, my partner, my business partner, Ray. I can't remember whether EG was there or not. I, th I think he was. But anyway, after three weeks, of furious number crunching and um, program running, he walks over to me and Ray and he shows me a trade. And I look at the trade and I, I start laughing. <laughs> and Ray, AKA Hummer, looks at me and he gives me one of these, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> look at this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's the exact same fucking trade we have on. <laughs> But the way Ray and I do it, I mean, you've seen my yellow sheets of paper, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I've progressed tons from there. I now don't use yellow legal pads. I use like the eight and a half by 11. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've basically just by looking at the quote sheet, mm -hmm. and in case you're not familiar, a quote sheet would be this. So as a primary dealer, every day at three o'clock, you mark all of the bonds. And on that sheet, which gets distributed to the salesmen, the traders, and the clients, it's a it's your it's your reference, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't mean the bonds have to trade there, but it's it's a reference. And on there, it will give you some rudimentary analytics, you know, the Coupon, mm -hmm. maturity, yep. the yield, the adjusted yield if it's a bad settlement date. Mm -hmm. Not a lot, but but enough, right? And all Ray and I would do would be we get this thing out and we would say, well, this thing in a year rolls eight basis points, and this thing in a year rolls sixteen basis points. Maybe we want to buy the one that rolls a you know sixteen and sell the one that rolls eight, and then you adjust for the carry and. And, you know, away you go. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're happy along doing this thing. Yet the geniuses from MIT, no, no, they got, and, and I looked at what they did. Okay. They took something, which is basically the equivalent of taking off your shoes and socks. And they took it to an absurd level of complexity. Mm -hmm. which it, it was, I was speechless. Were they traders or nerds? They were nerds before traders. They were willing to be destroyers of wealth. And the reason I say this is, um, again, this broadcast is. Oh, look at who we got a little. Uh, we got a little fan. I'm talking to Morris. Thank you. Jeez. She's not going to visit you in the nursing home now. Fine. <laughs> Some peace and quiet finally. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Where were we? They were destroyers of wealth. I wanted to yeah. know, but oh, but first, I wanted to know if they were like you were a trader before you were a nerd. You were not a you, you know, you were a trader. Those guys were nerds at MIT. I, I, you know, I don't, trader, I don't, right? I don't, I don't know them well enough. I, yeah, yeah, okay. So my good friend who goes by the gnome de plume, El Cid, went to MIT with these guys. Okay. And, you know, El Cid, I hold in, in the highest. Uh, of the traders I've ever met. Okay, so he, he went to these guys, went to MIT with these guys, but he ended up, uh, um, I, I think, unfortunately, making a, a career decision of going to the French Grain Company. Uh, I, I firmly believe, uh, um, had he gone to a Wall Street firm, it had been, there'd be more, a lot more zeros just because he's really talented at it. But but in any event, going back to the destroyers of wealth, a few things these guys did, which is, again, this is believed to be based upon a true story, okay? One of the first trades Meriwether did that put him on the map was one of my previous bosses, John Eckstein, had gotten too big into a trade. And um, Meriwether, along with a future Greenwich Capital alum, Rick Garth, who was at Solomon, I think, figured they could squeeze Meriwether, they could squeeze Eckstein out, take the trade over, and then make all the money. And I, I, I think I, I'm 80% in the ballpark. So anyway, Meriwether gets on the map, makes a bunch of money. Next thing that happens, there's some banking crisis um, and the Sally R group run by Meriwether now goes and they buy up all of the federal agency securities, home loan, farm credit, yada, yada, yada. These things are trading, I, again, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. but hundreds of basis points over treasuries. So, and had they defaulted, Solomon would have been bankrupt. But the geniuses decided they wouldn't let him go bankrupt, and they didn't. And okay, then they went on to having extraordinarily large positions in bond futures contracts. Um, 
and during the stock market crash, I think they had some very, very significant losses, but because they were part of the primary dealer, they I think they got a little bit of a wave. So mm -hmm. anyway, they come out looking like the golden boys. And yet they're they're really not doing anything, all that thing uh smart. And then Michael Lewis writes that book, Liar's Poker. Yep. Which, by the way, two guys who worked at Salmon told me the, the guys who played used to cheat regularly. So now we know who we're dealing with. Incredible, yeah. Um anyway, these guys work their way through the system and the world um, eventually blows up. They get taken out and they um, go about their business. But I mentioned the thing about us, um, the industrial espionage. So we make an offer to this fellow. He was a PhD in physics. And when he, they heard that... Um, he was going to come work for us. They went on an assault, like they're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. There isn't one PhD amongst them. They don't have a fucking idea. And and so now I hear this and then I got my, my boss. Yep. The one who's on second or third wife by now telling me, you know, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you more like this? And, you know, I just kind of, kind of just rubbed me the wrong way, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, I do mention when they were unwinding, when they were broke, um, I went on a mission to front run them and do everything I could to uh, make their unwind as, as painful as possible, which, by the way, is what they had done to a man named Jack Norris, who was a Drexel Burnham and was the king of the zero coupons. So when Milken blew mm -hmm. up and Drexel got unwound, they brought Sally Arvin. Okay. And um, I think that was the first time the term anal leakage was discovered. Apparently, mm -hmm. what Sally Arb did in unwinding this stuff, I remember Norris calling me saying, can you buy some of these things from me? And I'm like, Jack, I wish I could help you, but I, I'm not a zero coupon trader. I don't have any balance sheet. But they they just screwed the guys over. Yeah. So when I saw, you know, there's a payback is a bitch. Mm -hmm. Took it. Yeah, yeah. Rightfully so, so anyway, I got the whole thing with, you know, we don't know what we're doing. You're stupid. You should be more like John Merriweather. And then, and then years later, young Irish kid, middle-aged Jewish guy on a bike ride, get a can, two cans in a string and have an, an award-winning podcast that streams around the world. And they want to be on our show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. How about know, that? How about well, that? How about that? It's it's fucking How awesome. I, I tell you, payback's a bitch, right? You know, I told I told one of our esteemed listeners. I said the best part of it, we're gonna snub them. <laughs> so they're trying. Them. They're they're hawking a book. 
talking a book. And what's the what's the title? Lessons learned. Dude, there's and the best thing is, dude, he's still living off of all of that shit. He is still living yeah. off all those washed up hits, dude, or that washed up disaster. I'll, let me just read the email. Hi, Morris and Liam. I would love to work with you to book. All right, dude. So I'm not, I'm already laughing at you. I would love to work with you to book an interview on your podcast with Elm Wealth founder Victor Hagani, Solomon Brothers, Long Term Capital, and CEO of Elm Wealth, James White. All right. So, dude, if you listen to my show, you know that I'm not booking a guest ever. Like, you know, like I, it's a, that's executive producer Leslie Harris right. pointed out. They right. must be longtime listeners because we, nary an interview to be had, right? You know, do you know how many people I've turned down? You know how many people I've turned down? You know, and like, and people, and that was only when you were on vacation. I had people ask me if they could do the show, if they could sit in for MB, and I said, sorry, no, Leslie, special. So anyway, as a co so he's living off of this old shit. As a, as a co-founding partner of Long-Term Capital, Victor took a nine-figure hit when the hedge fund was undone by the 98 financial crisis. So that's like, you know, like the guy that was murdered on his bike the other day was hit by a car. Oh, they, yeah. Uh, the, the, news, the news writes that is elderly man dies in bike crash okay another so man ran the fucking guy over an old man was murdered with a fucking was murdered with an automobile so they did the same thing with this as if victor took a nine figure hit when the hedge fund was undone by the 98 crisis it was the crisis undid undid the fund not the fucking guys running the the fund it was the crisis not us okay a decade later james lost a similar material fraction a similar material fraction of his wealth to the 2008 financial crisis okay so you guys got wiped out i don't know what do i want to hear from you about hey, have a, a butter sandwich have a they, got a book, they got a book endorsed by a Harvard professor of economics. The MIT Sloan guy endorsed it, blah, blah, blah. And then he has the gall to send me 10 bullet points. Victor and James would love to discuss with you any of the following. Dude, we don't discuss here. Morris and I talk. We have a conversation. We're not going to listen to lessons from long-term capital. I, I mean, like, part of me wants to have this talk with these guys now. The missteps of the missing billionaires, balancing risk and reward, interconnected financial choices, a holistic approach to financial decision making, bridging personal finance and academic literature, wealth building for young people, how to build a financial. Hey, did you not listen to the whole fucking catalog of our shows where we all did all of that? With somebody that didn't get fucking wiped out. That's, the, that's what struck me. It's like the lessons learned. If you didn't know those going in, how are you Come gonna on. know them coming out? Good. Anyway, let's let me know let's add some can, value. Okay. Let me let me know if you'd be interested in scheduling an interview. So I kind of want to write back and be like, yeah, here's what we're gonna talk about. <laughs> yeah. Are you still are you still interested? <laughs> let's uh let's take a deep breath. I apologize for being unprofessional, but I That's you know it, it it just got my dander up. So nah, dude, that must dude, like I said, I it must feel so fucking good for you. For someone to say, tell you of all people, be more like them, dude. Do you, like that guy that said that? I would I would send him an email like 
today and be like, hey, remember when you told me to be more like them? Look at them now. I I, I can't do this on uh, live because, you know, like in the mafia, yeah. the, the family is sacrosanct. I don't know what the mafia There's no mafia. <laughs> no mafia. I'll send you something um, offline. Yeah, okay. With what's going on with this guy? Got it. Okay, understood. We don't. We've done enough. <laughs> um, anyway, to bring it back to a few things that may be of more interest than me ranting over past glories, um, there will be some market-related stuff in here. But first, um, I did uh, make a trip into Manhattan, and I have some information to report to those who are interested in the New York City oh. nightlife. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I know you're raising a family, so this may not apply to you per se, but I made two stops in my journey into Manhattan. The first was I stopped at the Hotel Chelsea, where I met one of my uh, partners, and former partner in the Chelsea. I'm no longer involved in that. And we had a delightful dinner. And let me tell you, they knocked it out of the park. No way. It's done? It's, 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 they fucking crushed it. No way. Really? It's, it's, if you are looking for a spot to take Amy. No way. Cocktail, really? Like the, the food's good. I'm not smashing the food. The food's good. But this is fucking cool city dude like, i heard it was supposed to be awesome and then covid fucked it up right well <laughs> it got fucked up from the day joe tree closed on it but got it got it got it got it but they and i have some sense of the financials they're never gonna see a fucking nickel understood but it's awesome but please go i'm telling okay. you they crushed it okay. so because of um, time commitments and security procedures. We had arranged things that uh, Shell and I were going to drive in the city. She was going to drop me at the Chelsea. I was going to meet my friend for drinks. Then Cheryl was going to carry on to the Gramercy Tavern to have dinner with um, uh, youngest and middle daughter. And right. after my drink, I was going to Actually, I had expected they would be done. Mm -hmm. They would pick me up at the Chelsea. So anyway, I finished my drink and dinner with my friend, and I kind of text and see what's going on. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. We, we just got our first course. I'm like, what? They're like, two hours to get the first course. So I said, okay. So I'm at the Chelsea, which is like 23rd yep. and 7th or yep, something. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll walk over. Mm -hmm. So I walk over to Gramercy Tavern, which is like Park and 20th-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how long that took me. But uh, so I get there and uh, Cheryl's there with uh, the two, two of the three kids and, and – uh, they're just bringing the second course. And uh, the waitress says something to me. And I'm like, 
I'm confused. They've been here two hours. What? And she's like, yeah, I feel terrible. Yada, yada, yada. Can I get you a drink? I'm like, uh, okay, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'd already off the wagon yeah, yeah. earlier. Right. So I, I ordered a drink and, um, um, anyway, she brings a drink and, you know, I have anger management issues. No. It, I know it's, it's not a rumor. It's true. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm like very particular and, uh, the Gramercy Tavern, in my mind, hollowed ground. Yeah, top five. I've never had a bet. I mean, the floral arrangement when you walk in, it's the whole thing. It's just, it's per, it's, it used to be perfect. So go on. Well, so I'm afraid in terms of um, the John Wick series, it's officially deconsecrated. It's off the list. Once you go off the list, you never go back on the list. I understand. So Danny Meyer, you know how fond I was, but you, the eye is off the ball. And um, the last time we had dinner there, or two times at dinner, we there was a problem with the service. And the manager came out and said something. And I said, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. It's usually better. And they comped the whole meal. Mm. Now, I don't need a free meal. But right. they, this one, like schnitz, like my, like, mm -hmm. anyway, they're, they're, they're off the, off the. It's a struggle. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, not my job. No, but, I get it. Um. But we we here at Ibwak highly recommend the Hotel Chelsea. Um, but going back to uh, Uncle Mark and long-term capital, and then there was an article, again, from executive producer Leslie Harris, Bloomberg, there's a reporter who took it upon himself to discuss the impending danger in the U.S. Treasury market in the basis trade. Long read. Nice long read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it occurred to me, you and I are never going to be invited to mainstream media. And it's not because of the F-bomb or the C-word. It's just that, and I hate to say it, but we would make them look stupid. They don't have the mental capacity to uh, follow this stuff and make it interesting. And so Becky Quick and who's the 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 uh, kind of female looking guy with the <laughs> eyeshadow? Andrew Ross Sorkin. That yep, guy. yep, 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 yep. Um, they they can't they can't compete at this level. So anyway. Th some guy writes an article about uh, the basis trade, completely omitting the fact that the basis trade has been around for well over a hundred years. That that was who was the guy? Remember his name? 
Stanford Food Research. Doctor, um, yeah, working, working, working. Dr. Holbrook working. Holbrook right. Working. Yeah. Yeah. He was the guy that talked about the basis trade. There's no mention of Dr. Holbrook working. No. Right? No. And how are you going to talk about a trade that's been around for 100 years? And, and just to make it simple, this is not some triple levered yada 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 this is a farmer a simple farmer yep goes and grows his corn and he wants to know what price he's going to get for his corn mm -hmm. and he needs to borrow money to buy equipment and to buy seed for next year so he sells a contract and he goes to the bank and he said this is how much money i'm going to get and this is the this is the genesis of the of the futures contract yeah the spot now, price in the fiat yeah yeah it's just that simple and and you, you may recall when we went through my stellar um uh academic record the the couple of a's i received were in futures and and commodity price forecasting mm -hmm. but uh nary of any mention of that in the article it was just the gloom and doom mm -hmm. of the highly levered yada, yeah. yada yada so one of the tricks to trading okay is you got to think about what's the next thing if you're coming in monday morning and opening the wall street journal okay you might as well be lee cooperman Right. <laughs> Which, by the way, by, let's come back to him. It's Rosh Hashanah. Um, come on, leave him alone. <laughs> it's Rosh Hashanah. I was going to say something nice. Yeah, we'll go back to him. I, I'll, I'll sign me up. But um, what's the yeah. next? Yeah. The next thing. The next the thing, next thing the is, is this. So there's been a proliferation of these one-day options. Right. So um, when I'm on my walk with Uncle Mark, I'm thinking, you know, a little irritated with the LTCM bullshit and the article about the basis trading. And, you know, all of a sudden, I don't know how this happens, but I start thinking about these these one day options mm -hmm. and like, I don't even know how to look them up. Right. So um, I ping Kevin Muir. Um, of course uh, he wasn't there. Um, I actually, he had a family issue. Mm -hmm. so, oddly enough, I figured it out on my own and I'm looking at this thing and um I noticed that you could buy a put on the SPY struck right at the money. Mm -hmm. And volatility was so low. You have three months for the stock market to go down 2% and break even. Now, is Leslie pointed out, when did I become a vol trader? 
the truth is I didn't. I just like having excuses for doing things that I don't have any real business doing. Advantage of being a trading manager for 30 years, right? You hear all of the, it's like, can you just hold this bag for me? <laughs> but um, I'm not making a point that the market's going to go anywhere, okay? But I saw that there's now an exchange-traded fund mm -hmm. that's raised on Detra is to sell these one-dated options. Okay. So now, as I told you, things come full circle, right? So we're talking about long-term mm -hmm. capital. Um, they got into trouble by selling uh, volatility. And the funny thing is one of their partners won a Nobel Prize on option pricing. And let's see if I can find it. It would be pretty good if I could make this happen. Um, what with the writer's strike, it's really hard to get everything organized. You want me to read? Can I read the description of the ETF? Please. Launched a new product today that writes ultra short dated puts on the NASDAQ 100 as the boom in zero day options opens a new frontier. The ETF, which sports a 99 basis point expense ratio, will sell 24 hours at the money or slightly in the money puts on the tech heavy gauge each trading day with cash and short term treasury serving as collateral. Yeah, how's that going to go? These ETFs exemplify our commitment to innovation and to meeting the evolving needs of our investors. Whereas Ayako Yoshioka, Senior Portfolio Manager at Wealth Enhancement Group, puts it a little bit differently by saying, everybody is looking for that free money. Zero-day options fuel speculation. Give me half a minute. I want to find something, and I'm having trouble finding it. It, it will show up momentarily um you got any jokes you can tell the people while i'm looking for this um yeah i went to the grocery store again this week and uh yeah i, I got i went to the grocery store and i got gas okay and it was 200 dollars. how about that <laughs> oh fuck dude where's the outrage where's the where's the where's the american citizen that is that's getting hammered dude okay so let me tell you something you, you while you search, you went to the restaurant. Was Gramercy packed? Packed? No. There you go. So not only are they not packed, but they can't keep up with the crowd that they have. All right. You know what else isn't packed anymore? A lot what? of restaurants. A lot of restaurants aren't packed anymore. Okay. And the flights are not packed. The airport's not packed anymore. And no. when I look at hotels for December, not packed anymore. No. Okay. You know what else is impact? Like the nightlife. I went and had friends go out to the, you know, go out on the town on Saturday night. No problem. No line at the door. Walk right in. You go into employees only. You got a seat at the bar. Yeah. Things of the, you know why? Dude, the, the money, the uh, gas plays a role in it. Okay. You know, I love to take my winter road trip and I like to drive. I don't like to fly. And I, I was like, yeah, you know, if I'm going to drive to Colorado or if I'm going to drive to Florida, my buddy asked me, he was like, when do you start watching it? And I said four bucks. I said, I'll watch it at four bucks. You know, right. four bucks, it call it's about a hundred bucks to fill the truck. I was like, dude, 425, 430. You know, like it, yeah. I started thinking about it. And I don't know why that is. Like in the big scheme of things, yeah, it's 25, 30 bucks on the fill up. But but it it 
compounds exponentially really quickly. And you add that with, all right, so now you're going to go on, you're going to go on vacation, you got to play gas, food, you're going to go out to eat. Dude, those restaurant bills are outrageous nowadays. Yeah. Like those we, not- went to, we went to the Beehive. Yeah. A local diner. Yeah. yeah. Um, show was shocked. Yeah. Like two Greek salads uh-huh. and, a and a Coca-Cola was like 70 bucks. Bingo, dude. And it's got to, it, dude, it cannot continue forever. Well, you know, correlation is not causality. But the slowdown is happening at precisely the time all of these guys projected the COVID savings would disappear. Imagine that. I, I found what we were looking for. So I apologize. Oh. Um, but if we go back to... Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about that, though, the inflation and what's going on and and the and the running out of steam and running out of money, more importantly. But go go to the go to the thing. Okay, so. The thing I want to leave everybody with is this one day option situation, Okay, because to me, said I'm always trying to think what's the next thing. And to me, it's this one day option. Okay. The volatility as expressed through option prices has been compressed because people have got it in their head that they can sell these options and the market isn't moving very much. And it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They sell vol, sell vol, sell vol. It forces stocks to trade within a range until you get this thing they call the Minsky moment and all hell breaks loose, right? So if we go to the Nobel Prize winning paper by Merton, Option Pricing, okay, which is on our website and it's been there for a long time, I just invite you not to look at the math, but I've already taken the uh, liberty of highlighting um, a couple of things that I found worthwhile. And I'll paraphrase. Um, the first thing it says, the Black-Scholes estimate will be smaller than true value. Now, Black-Scholes is an old model and everyone's got their new version of it. But it's still the same sort of concept of the way the market moves, which is why you need calculus. As I continue, um, the probability of a large finite jump in price significantly increases this probability and hence makes the option more valuable. So now we know the Black-Scholes model underprices the value of an option. And um, with the big move, it'll make the option more valuable. Okay, here's the money shot. Moreover, these differences will be magnified as one goes to short maturity options. So um, basically 
you've got the regulators letting people sell these options. And I can guarantee you that there's not sufficient margin to support these positions because the margin is calculated using these types of evaluation methods. So um, again, one of the other classes I got an A in, actually it was two semesters, so two A's, statistics. So um, basically these models assume um, a volatility in the market. And the problem with statistics are they don't really apply to real life. So for instance, and I would invite you while we do this on your calculator, look up three standard deviation move and, and see what Google gives you. Mm. Ninety-nine point seven of data observed follows a normal distribution lies within three standard deviations of the mean. Sixty-eight percent of the data falls within one standard deviation, ninety-five percent within two, and ninety-nine point seven within three standard deviations from the mean. So basically, everything should happen within three standard deviations. Yep. That means everything from now to the beginning of time should fall within three standard deviations. Now, I I haven't run it on a Bloomberg, but I bet you you're getting three standard deviation moves in some commodity once a month. Definitely, definitely. Orange juice. So, yeah. Oh, did you see that? I'm not kidding. Did I see it? <laughs> I've been watching it since last Christmas. <laughs> Holy fuck. So, yeah. yeah, so this is people can needle dick around talking about price earnings ratios. Mm -hmm. They can talk about whether the Fed is going to ease or what the terminal rate is or this or that. But you got a bunch of chuckleheads walking around like the chimp with the hand grenade with the pin pulled. And this is going to be something's going to happen. I don't know what it is by definition. You can't know what it is, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know whether Sleepy Joe passes out and doesn't wake up. I don't know whether Putin blows up a uh, nuclear device. I don't know if a fucking asteroid, you know, hits the Kremlin. But mm -hmm. I've been around a long time. I'm telling you, this shit happens all the fucking time. And that ain't going to work. And so, again, <clears throat> I love my two-year notes. We urge caution. Yeah. And um, as, a, as an aside note, um, our partner in crime, Anthony Peters, uh, has a new puppy. So congratulations. But... Um, Just a word to the wise, Anthony, um, because we've seen this happen. We know you have cars. We know you have guns. 
if you're driving around and you're filling up your Aston Martin, okay, and some guy says to you how much, and he says he loves dogs, sell him the car. Because okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's going to go nowhere good if you tell him no. Yeah. Um, Leon Cooperman, I got a call from a guy dear to my heart. And he said I was a little rough on Lee, that he was a very generous man. And that's, that's, I'm sure true. Okay. But as a little bit of an exercise in reality, okay. I have some vague recollection of after my dining experience with Lee, I had been making some investments in hedge funds. So I asked him if he would send me the information. So um, I get the data dump and the years of the returns and something like that. And I did this peculiar um, analysis, which is how much money did the investor really make? I mean, I know you can rely on all these statistics the hedge funds guys give you, but just belt and suspenders. I said, okay, I put in this much money. Year one, he makes this. I got to pay tax on that, right? So I took the taxes out of what he said he earned. And then I assumed the balance I reinvested and so on and so forth. And when he lost money, okay, I limited my loss to the $3,000. Mm -hmm. And then as he made money, it, it worked against that deferred loss. And lo and behold, um, I think he didn't beat the S&P. Now, I know that's an archaic, archaic way of doing things to see how much money the investor really makes. Mm-hmm. Because what's most important is what the hedge fund manager makes. Yeah, never mind the investor. But, um, as a comparison, I I did the same thing, and I went through the numbers with Big Ed. Okay, love him or hate him, I love him. Big Ed is as honest as a day is long, and I went through Bill Ackman's numbers, and Bill Ackman beat the S and P. I'm not going to say by how much; it's not important. But he he beat the S&P. Lee, on the other hand, didn't. Yet, he's rich and angry. Bill's rich and happy, at least, which is, which <laughs> is good. But in, in my final appeal to those of you uh, listening, the hedge fund guys are getting 5 or 6% on your cash. They're getting 20% of that. They're sitting around their office. They're laughing at you. That's number one. They're laughing at their investors because who'd be stupid enough to pay us 20% of 6% for just showing up? Okay. Secondly, um, your hedge fund manager may be the next James Cordier. <laughs> Tell them the best part. Tell them the best part. I invested in a hedge fund. I had to basically beg to get let in, okay? 
the returns and my uh, oldest daughter ran the analysis fell 200 basis points behind the S&P for the same period of time. But it gets better. In October 25th of 2019, I put in for redemption. When? 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 Oct 25, 2019. I don't have all my money back. Dude. Side pocket. (laughs) So for those of you thinking of giving money to hedge funds, don't. For those of you hedge fund managers, and I know a lot of you, okay? Look, even good people make mistakes. It's not too late, okay? Stop. Send the money back to the investors. Go go do something you love. Go help the world. You don't need to be pillaging from people who aren't smart enough to know that you've given them the largest asymmetrical advantage in the history of mankind. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, if I wrote a, a book, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Did I get my point across? Yeah. No, you've made that point before, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't see anyone giving it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when, uh, when a five standard deviation happens, you know, once a year, sooner or later, something's going to give. And uh, we didn't even get to talk about Goldman. Yeah, we got time for that. Um, you want to talk about the economy? You want to talk about the market or not at all? You care about the Fed? Well, I, of course I do, but I... Yeah, I'm talking about this week, this this week. You know, you're not locked. You don't care what they're going to say this week, right? No, they're, they're going to hike, hold, nothing. Who cares? You don't care, right? They're doing nothing. I don't care. It It's... This thing is coming apart. The economy's slowing. Okay, um, you you look at people are not consuming like you said. The price of gasoline is higher. The price of uh, home ownership is going up, while the price of homes is going down. So that's a double negative in that people can't buy houses. Okay, but people's perceived wealth, which is what they spend off of, is declining too. Um, You know, the problem with interest rates, I don't know if you're familiar with this formula. I'll give it to you. It's easy. I equals PRT, where I is interest, P is principal, rate is R, and T is time. Mm -hmm. So you can take the R from one to five, okay? But you still need to change the T. Mm-hmm. The T goes one day at a time. So these things take some time. And we're not in a world where the people want to, right? They want the money now. And, no. and yeah. now we're starting to see the the, the leakage. And yeah. I still am convinced that the Lacey Hunt scenario is going to play out. You know, uh, the curve has me a little bit confused, but I'm okay because. been 350 days like that, you know, like. Yeah. And at a 505 two-year note, I'll take my chances. Yeah. Right. So 
How high is that going to go? You're going to see five and a half on that thing at the rate we're going? I don't know. I hate to predict the future. You know, it's hard because it hasn't happened. I, I do think that once the decay starts in the economy, and I think we're seeing it, um, I, I have one close personal friend who's got a family business and their business seems to be going gangbusters. That to me seems to be more the anomaly rather than the rule. But yeah, I, I think we're close to the end here. And yeah, the, I would be very careful. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, like you said, there's businesses that are going gangbusters, but I've talked to a lot of small business owners that are hunkering down for the winter. Um, and they're like, it's going to be a long winter. X has dried up. We were doing 100 Ys, and now we're only doing 25 of them. Yeah, there's... Here's a little known thing. Everyone, and of course, I always end up on the side of being the old fogey, but everyone's got a boner for nvidia right fat super califragilistic chip as you will recall uh up until recently cheryl was in the uh airline charter business okay so the first plane she bought was analog mm -hmm. and she unfortunately had to do a analog digital conversion. So we had to go out and buy a used flight management system known in the trade as an FMS. Okay. Now, I was joking with a good friend of the show, Shannon, um, because that flight management system, which is still in operation in many aircraft, uses a 486 chip now you you might not even know what a 486 chip was like the like the first ibm pc at home okay mm -hmm. was a 386 like if you were like the family on the block that had two color tvs mm -hmm. you got the 486 chip yeah so yep. that's the chip that's in some of these airplanes and the reason is because it's reliability. You need five, they call five nines. You need zero failure rate. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm not a chip guy, but if you're going to tell me you got this chip that can run billions of processes a second, I'm going to wonder how, how reliable is it? I mean, if you're going to go for a, a bike ride, you want the 22 millimeter tubular tires or, or do you want the you know the 25 millimeter specialized with the kevlar mm -hmm. insert right i i don't i don't know so the whole implementation process of this high computing power chip i i think it's a little bit it's been a little bit accelerated mm -hmm. it's been a lot of question marks raised about nvidia a lot of question marks raised about that okay yeah, people shine. Yeah, people shine some lights about inside that. Uh, whatever. I don't want to get into it. It's tinfoil hat stuff. But there were some, you know, questions raised about Nvidia. But yeah, you're 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 a more practical question. Um, 
dude, there's what? There's ten stocks in the S and P five hundred that are that are driving the bus, and everybody else is everybody else flat on their back. Um, and if it weren't for you know the magnificent seven or whatever, maybe things would be looking. You know, dude, you split the P E ratio, you take them out, you look at the P E ratio without those stocks, and it, it's crazy. It's it's a wildly expensive market. And, you know, everyone will agree on that. That, but there you have it. Yeah, now we're doing now, now I sound like them. <laughs> Should we uh cut it here? Maybe someone will come back next week after this downer of an episode. <laughs> yeah, they we'll just have the long term guys on if you know if it gets <laughs> yeah, worst comes the worst, we'll have some guests. You live to see another week, Solomon. We didn't forget about you, okay? We'll be back next week, all right? Just because we ran out of time today doesn't mean we've forgotten about you, okay? You take care, pal. All right, buddy. Later. <laughs> all right.